This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined, as always, by George Smith. George, how are you? Not bad, mate. Not bad. Bit bit deflated after the Lionesses lost the uh, World Cup final this morning, but apart from that, I can't complain. How about you? I watched most of it, but then Norwich v Millwall started, and as the t- true championship diehard that I am, I had to switch over. But I did keep a close eye. Well, I dual monitored it in truth, albeit I had a closer eye on the Norwich game because I'm committed to the podcast and I do my research. So, yes, I'm good, thank you. Um want to say a big thank you, first and foremost, before I forget to everyone that's supported the podcast at, at the start of the season. We've had record numbers to start the new season, um, which has been really great. Loads and loads of downloads. We've made loads of progress. So that's great to see. Thank you to those. If you are a new listener, we've had a few questions about the format of the show. So I thought I'd just uh, clarify how we do things here at the Championship Chat Podcast. We do go through every single game every single week, but we do pay a little bit less attention and do a little bit less in-depth analysis on the draws just so we can try and keep it around an hour because um, I think that's kind of the ideal time really before everyone starts checking out and going to cut their grass, etc. Um, so yeah, we try and make sure we cover all the games, but we do do a little bit less at the draws that we do at the end. Um, I did forget to do Huddersfield v Leicester last week. That was my fault. I somehow missed that off my running order. So if you're a Leicester City fan that missed um, that coverage on that game last weekend, blame me, not George. I do the running order. I do the script. So that was my fault. But that's probably the first time we've ever done that in a fair few years of recording this podcast. So I'd like to think it's a one-off. I've definitely got all the games and all the analysis written out for this week. So hopefully you'll enjoy. Uh, I'd also like to point you in the direction of a giveaway that we're doing on our Twitter page where you can win a free championship hoodie. Go to our Twitter page at ChamChatPod24. Make sure you're following us if you aren't already and uh, get yourself involved and retweet the tweet that we've got going. And you could be in with a chance to win a very nice designed hoodie. Um, and as always, make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms. And make sure, as I say, you're following us on Twitter and Instagram. Big thank you to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for supporting the pod this season. If you're looking to take car payments with no contract or monthly fees, make sure you visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They provide a discount on the RRP of all sum-up devices, so make sure you go and check them out. And over the next hour, we'll be bringing you reaction to the biggest stories in the championship this weekend. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. Now, George, I want to start with the game that I referenced earlier that I watched, and that's Norwich City. They beat Millwall 3-1 at Carrow Road on Sunday. Very, very impressed with Norwich, I have to say. Seven points out of a possible nine to start the season. And I think all the pre-season pessimism is quite quickly evaporating from Carrow Road. There was a lot of bad feeling around Norwich I mean when you don't win your final five home games of a season and it, you let your season peter out in the way Norwich did last year there's going to be some frustration but it wasn't just us it wasn't just pundits alike who all I've, I've, I don't think I've seen a prediction which had Norwich in the top half of the table the fans felt the same as well which is strange usually it's quite unusual usually if pundits are tipping a team not to do very well in the championship you've got a bit of backlash from supporters wasn't the case everyone felt quite negative about Norwich, particularly when you consider the overexcitement in some ways about Ipswich Town down the road. Well, Norwich 
have made a really good start and they were really, really dominant in this game. Far superior in the early kickoff. Johnny Rowe, free and free, star man for me. A really, really nice goal um, that he scored. Lovely move. Great layoff by Ashley Barnes into his path and it's an emphatic finish into the far corner. And he just gives them a lovely balance with, with just that youthful fearlessness that you get in a young wide player attacking midfielder. Gives them great drive from midfield. And they've got a very nice balance in the team. It's very similar to when, if you remember when uh, David Wagner first came in, it's almost like a 4-4-2, but quite narrow with the wingers. Sort of like a bit of a diamond in possession, out of possession. The two wider midfielders obviously slot into a 4-4-2. So in this sense, it was Kenny McLean and um, Gabriel Sara as the two central midfielders. McLean obviously naturally more sat. Sara getting forward as a number 10. And then Rowe slotting in on the left and uh, Fashnak coming in for his first start on the right-hand side. They still look a little bit shaky at times defensively, I think, playing out from the back. We've seen some of the goals. They, they, I mean, the goal against Hull, for example, on the opening day where the two centre-halves mixed up. I do think they are susceptible on the counter-attack still. I still think that they can be pressed quite highly and maybe the centre-backs are not the most adept at playing out from the back. But they've got a really nice balance about them in midfield and certainly going forward, they've got goals in Barnes and uh, in Josh Sargent. And I was really, really impressed with how dominant they were against the Millwall side that most people, including us, fancy to be challenging for the playoffs. And they were they were dominant from minute one. I have to say, although I've just said about the defence, what Giannoulis did really, really well. He was excellent up against Eze, who obviously we, we very highly rate the young Millwall winger. But... Going forward, they're very exciting. And they were when Wagner first came in. I can remember them spanking Coventry, didn't they? 4-2, I think it was, at their place in one of the early games. And they certainly impressed me when you consider the pre-season expectations, a bit of doom and gloom around Carrow Road, having not won any of their last five home games of the season last season, to then go and win back-to-back home games and get a very respectable point against Southampton, which should have been a victory, really, if we, we both agree that the late penalty on Cal Walker-Peters was very, very harsh. Very good start for Norwich City, Judge. Indeed. It's been a really, really good start for Norwich City. And you, you've mentioned there, obviously, they've taken seven points from a possible nine. They progressed in the League Cup as well in midweek, beating QPR. So they're unbeaten in each of their first four games in the League and Cup. And all of a sudden, Norwich have gone from being a team which have not had many positives, so to speak, during the summer. We, quite a few people were critical of them. We questioned their recruitment in, in part, certainly, the addition of, say, um, Shane Duffy and Ashley Barnes are sort of older heads, but at the same time, Norwich did need some leaders within that squad. And that that is, of course, what they've given them. But I think the main talking point is young Jonathan Rowe. This young man has emerged from absolutely nowhere. Four goals in four games in all competitions, scoring, of course, at QPR in the week. And I didn't see the game with Millwall on Sunday lunchtime, but I've watched the goals and seen the, the short little highlight clips of it. And I must say that the build-up to two of Norwich's goals was was exceptional. The first one in particular, the one that Rowe scored, really silky football, liquid football, if you if you like. And that was a kind of a nod to the football that David Wagner, as a manager, likes to see and is capable of achieving with the right players and the right system. So I think Norwich can be really, really pleased with the, the start that they've made because on paper, realistically, they've not had the easiest of opening set of fixtures. I think we can agree. Millwall, obviously be knocking on the road of the playoffs year after year. Southampton just down for the Premier League. Hull got aspirations of kicking on this season. So they've not had the easiest crop of games to kick things off. So I think they've been really, really impressed with how things have gone so far. And 
considering, like I said, the way that we were talking pre-season about their recruitment and how we got doubts perhaps about what they'd done, I think it's the perfect start. And it's silenced a few few critics early doors. Certainly it has me. And I think another key thing for Norwich is, obviously they did concede four at Southampton last weekend, but already they're the leading goal scorers in the division. I know we're only three games in and you know it takes quite a bit of time for things to settle down into a groove and into a rhythm of how things are going to look. But nine goals in the first three, averaging three goals a game, it's, it's a really good start. The third in the table, seven points. I don't think David Wagner could have asked for for much more, really. <laughs> you know, they were so close to winning at Southampton last week, as you said. So I think Wagner's certainly been able to stamp his authority on things. He's got a system that clearly works for him, works for the players that he's got available to him. And when you've got a young man in red-hot form like John, Jonathan Rowe is at the moment, you're going to have a chance of winning any game. And I've got to be honest, Jonathan Rowe, Literally prior to two weeks ago, I'll, I'll hold my hands up, I'll be honest, I'd never heard of him. He was a complete unknown quantity to me. Uh, big injury problems, I believe, in recent the last couple of seasons since he's been at Norwich City. And all of a sudden, he looks like he could be a young player that's going to take the championship by storm this season. He's already the joint top leading goal scorer in the division. He's playing with a, a swagger about him. There's so, you know, a great amount of confidence flowing through his veins. And when you've got somebody like that who's sort of leading the team and is the, the go-to man, you've always got a chance of winning any game because as well as that, he's capable of scoring a variety of goals as we've seen. He scored a header uh, against Southampton, a lovely long-range effort against Hull City on the opening day and a lovely sweeping finish uh, on Sunday against Millwall. So he's got clearly a lot of attributes in his locker. And if you've got someone like that and then a Gabriel Sara as well, an experienced figurehead at the top like Ashley Barnes, Josh Sargent, who is always going to chip in with a goal and he'll sort of want double figures at the very least this season again. You've got a chance of achieving something. So I know it's only three games in. It is still very early days. And I always think you can't make a proper judgment on any team until probably 10 games in. However, Norwich are threatening, certainly at this stage, to maybe leave egg on the face of some people who doubted them this season. I think David Wagner, perhaps in a, in a strange sort of way, as he, is, as he clearly is at the moment, albeit again three games in, is he sort of benefiting from maybe the expectations being lowered this season, the pressure could be off and that's resulting in him and his players playing perhaps with the shackles off a little bit more freedom. And admittedly, Millwall by all accounts were poor. I've seen quite a lot of abuse being aimed at Gary Rowett this afternoon. So I certainly I presume that's helped Norwich's case to win that game. But nevertheless, it's another three points on the board for them. Seven points from a possible nine, through in the League Cup, three wins out of four in all competitions. I mean, for David Wagner, he, he must be really, really impressed. And no disrespect to the, their opponents they've got next on the horizon. Their next two games are actually Huddersfield and Rotherham prior to the first international break of the season. If it goes according to the form book, could Norwich bag another two wins and end the first period of the season with 13 points from a possible 15? It's certainly possible with those two games coming up. Can't get carried away, but I think overall, I think David Wagner can be very, very pleased with what he's achieving and probably looking at people who doubted them and saying, who's doubting us now? Yeah, absolutely. Really good performance from Norwich. Just dominant over Millwall, to be honest. Who were a little bit worrying only two games in, of course, uh, three games in, of course, but not the performance Gary Rowett will have wanted to see from his side. Early kickoff now, George. We'll go to Saturday, and Plymouth Argyle will be in 2 1 by Southampton. Another game sat down and enjoyed over the weekend. Really, really great, good game. And do you know what? South uh, Plymouth did not deserve to lose this. And I don't mean that as a slight at Southampton, but either team could have won it and you wouldn't have had a complaint really. But I think a draw was probably the fair result. Southampton, of course, have taken seven points 
from their first nine, scoring two late winners on the road to win 2-1 at Hillsborough and 2-1 at Home Park. Playing two of the uh, newly promoted teams away from home early on is not easy. So credit to them for getting the job done and Shadam scoring both of the winning goals. They could have easily lost it as well, though, as I say. I thought Plymouth were excellent. They played a very good game. Both sides just giving it a really good go. And tactically, I thought it was very interesting. Adam Armstrong playing as an, an advanced number eight is new. I think it's fair to say. Um, I think some quotes from Russell Martin in the week saying you can see a bit of the Joel Peru in him. I don't really see that personally in terms of the sort of profile. I think that I always felt Peru was someone that wanted to come to the ball, whereas Armstrong, definitely someone that can play on the shoulder running behind. So I'm not sure I see that personally, but clearly he's got, he thinks he's got the game intelligence to play that role. Um, Will Smallbone, unfortunately, who someone who's been very instrumental in the early weeks in the Russell Martin um, system playing as that holding midfielder, He's out for a for a couple for, for a number of weeks, it looks like. So Shea Charles, summer signing from Manchester City, came in in holding midfield, completed, I think, over 200 passes in the game, slotted in very well. Um, and in terms of the goals, obviously a fantastic finish from Nathan Teller on his, I'm going to say weaker, in inverted commas, left foot. Brilliant strike, considering the one he did at Hillsborough as well. But then seconds later, Ryan Hardy with a really smart finish after great play by Morgan Whitaker down the right-hand side. Good cross into the box. And Whitaker hit the post in stoppage time. And then down the other end, really good save from uh, Hazard, who was, I thought he was absolutely fantastic as well. He pulled off a really good save, Hazard, from a Adam Armstrong free kick, which was hit with real force, real venom. Excellent save. Um, and unfortunately, they hit the post down the other end with Whitaker, And then it's a, a good save from Hazard, but there's Shadams to turn in the rebound. Really good finish from close range. Good poaching. And Southampton come away with seven points from nine, two wins away from home, away, as I say, newly promoted teams, which is probably, I would probably say it's you would want to play the newly promoted teams, not early doors, while the pre-season optimism and the excitement still coursing through the fans' veins. I think you probably want to play them later in the season, but Southampton have got it done with two late winners. And Shea Adams, in a week where he's been linked with a move away to, to Everton and to other Premier League suitors, showing his value up front for Southampton. Well, first of all, after what's happened today in the Premier League, if I was Shea Adams, I'd stay put at Southampton rather than going to Everton, to be honest, after the way they've been battered by Aston Villa this afternoon. But You say yeah. that. Sim- similarly, I completely agree. Why is Willy Nonto so desperate to leave Leeds to go to Everton. Everton? Who knows? They'll probably be swapping Bonk. places. Well, maybe not swapping places, but we'll see uh, come the end of this season. But no, things aren't looking great for Everton at the minute, are they? Anyway, we digress. Back to the we'll Championship next, next season. season. Yeah, we'll talk about them in you know twelve months' time. Let's go back to the league we know and love. Um, I uh, I have to agree with you. I watched the bulk of this game on Saturday lunchtime, and I have to say Plymouth were very very unfortunate. I expected them to go at Southampton, and they did that literally from the word go. Bally Mumba going on one of his surging runs down the left hand side, and they crafted a chance, didn't they? Within the first sixty seconds, Plymouth they looked really vibrant, really up for the game, as they so often are at home park. You're always going to give you a game there, and you're never going to get an easy ride. However, Southampton obviously found that little bit of extra quality so late on as they did at Hillsborough on the opening night of the season. Shea Adams, right place, right time to to bundle the ball in. But Plymouth, they made such a good fist of it. They made Southampton work so hard for it. And as you said, Morgan Whitaker struck the struck the woodwork in added time at the very end of the game. And on another day, Plymouth would have taken something from that game. So I don't think Stephen Schumacher can be too downhearted with the way that went. I think four points from the first nine available is a very good return for Plymouth. When you take into a, when you take into account that they've also had to go to Watford in that period, who admittedly are not at the same level as Southampton, but they're certainly one of the 
one of the tougher away days, I think, with respect that you can you can get in the championship. Watford always a team that have obviously got great ambitions, even if they've fallen though fallen off their um off the right track in the last year or so. But I think Plymouth, we've seen enough in the first three games against Huddersfield, against Watford and against Southampton to give, be given enough evidence to say that this team is going to be very, very capable of competing at this level. They look tactically very well set up. They, they Each of them know their roles. Mumba and Whitaker fully justifying Plymouth's decision to invest to bring the pair of them back. Whitaker so dangerous at the heart of everything Plymouth do. Ryan Hardy, I must say as well, he took his goal so well. That's two in two home games for him, scored on the opening day against, against Huddersfield. And I thought Plymouth did pretty much everything correct. And it was just unfortunate that Southampton found a way right at the very end. But when you've got the likes of Nathan Teller on the pitch, Shea Adams, Adam Armstrongs, your top-end championship players, you're always going to have a chance of sneaking any game. And I think, to be honest... Uh, and I said this reviewing the the um, the game we've just spoken about Norwich Millwall. It could be a vital three points come the end of the season. Those fine moments, those little tiny moments, could be so definitive come the end of the season. So Southampton could look back in May, whatever happens for them, and think, "Wow, how important that goal was at home park on the third weekend of the season." So Russell Martin clearly getting his team settled into the groove the way that he wants them to play. It's not helping, of course, the way that the situation is with Southampton in the transfer window. They've obviously, since we've recorded this, James Ward-Prowse has officially gone. Uh, since we recorded last week, I should say, James Ward-Prowse has gone. Romeo Lavia has gone to Chelsea. Obviously, a lot of speculation about Shea Adams. They still talk of Nathan Teller going back to Burnley on a permanent deal. So I think it's going to be hard to gauge a proper judgment on Southampton until we sit down and record our episode in a, in a fortnight's time when the transfer window shuts on the 1st of September, which is which is about 10, 10 days or so away now, give or take. So Southampton will be very pleased with the start they've made. Seven points from nine. It's a healthy return. Could have quite easily, though, we could be sitting here talking about Southampton with a lot less. They were. I think I think so. I think, I when think that's you consider the thing, They required a late goal at Hillsborough, a very late goal against Norwich by a very dubious penalty, and obviously a late winner at home park. Southampton could quite I easily sat here. I wouldn't you, on the ball two play. points. They deserve to beat Wednesday at Hillsborough. Yes, they did. But in terms of leaving it late, but well, they it probably shows got fighting spirit, point, didn't they? Out of the last two, yeah, definitely, without any shadow of a doubt, they did. And I, I would say, I, I've obviously Southampton's two away games. One we were both at. One was televised. We've seen both of them, and Southampton was certainly more complete on the opening night at Hillsborough. The Norwich game was obviously absolutely crackers. It was a bonkers game and one that we, you know, don't, don't see all that often in a season. But I think the fact that Russell Martin's gone in there with obviously a lot of uncertainty surrounding departures, he's not really brought that many players in, I think it's fair to say. Only I think Ryan Manning and Shea Charles are the only two seniors that have it's come the in. The bench didn't look like yeah, it's just, it, superior, did it? It didn't, it it didn't, didn't. fear you with dread. No, it didn't. And I'm sure there'll be definitely be movement between now and the deadline for them in terms of bringing players in and strengthening the squad. I still think the, the starting eleven perhaps could be bolstering a couple of places, maybe in central midfield now. Obviously, James Ward-Prowse and Romeo Lavia have gone. So there's definitely there's gaps to fill. But nevertheless, if you've got all that going off in the background, a new manager to have got seven points out of nine, two away games in there as well, it's a very good start. Admitted, they've got a very good team. They've got a lot of very, very good players at this level. But you've still got to mould it all together. And Russell Martin, I think he'll be really pleased with how the first three weeks have gone. Maybe a tad fortuitous at Plymouth. But at the end of the day, you make your own look, don't you? They fought right to the end. They found a way. So Southampton, seven points from nine. I think they'd be really pleased with that. 
Let's go to a different newly relegated team, George. Leicester City there on maximum points. They've taken 9 out of 9. They beat Cardiff City 2-1 at the King Power Stadium. 3 from 3 under Enzo Maresca. And they left it late in this one with Sub Cassidy poking in from close range after joining on loan from Chelsea. Spent last year with Reading, of course. I think probably went under the radar a little bit. I watched him score an absolute screamer and be man of the match at Ewood Park when, when uh, Reading came to Blackburn sort of end of February. And I thought he did quite well in a struggling team with Reading to say that obviously it was his first loan in English football, to say that Reading were obviously not doing very well at the time, it's fair to say, didn't see a lot of the ball. But he looks an absolutely perfect fit for this system. As a you know, He's a box-crashing, goal-scoring number eight. And he scored seven goals in seven games from midfield for Italy in the, the under-21 Euros, which, of course, England won in the final. And I think he looks a perfect fit because I, when I looked watched Leicester on opening day, you can see how they want to play. Wilfred Nidi is not a number eight. He shouldn't be playing in that role, particularly how high... They're basically number 10s, really. It's two number 10s. Perfect for Cassidy because I think someone like Drewsbury Hall... Although he's got the capabilities for scoring, he's more likely to be from range. Whereas I think Cassidy's someone that will join the striker in the box as well as the opposing winger. And it helps Leicester get more bodies. And that could also create more space for for likes of Winks and Jewsbury Hall on the edge of the area to get shots off if if people like Cassidy are drawing the defenders into the box. So he seems a really, really good pickup. Perfect start to come off the bench and obviously score the winning goal. Two superb strikes before then with Madivuda and Aaron Ramsey scoring from range. Ramsey's goal, an unbelievable hit from range, rolling back the years with, with that strike. But Leicester, again, I still think they're figuring things out and as they're going to be, you know, post-relegation. I think you're never going to see any of the newly relegated teams come down and, and absolutely hit the ground running performance-wise because they're still working out the squad. There's still players that could leave. There's still players that they're trying to get in. Still trying to, you know, still got players at the club that don't have a future and they're waiting to sell and get those funds in. So when you consider Leicester also adapting to a new manager with a very different style in terms of using the uh, inverting the fullbacks, using Ricardo in midfield, it's it's going to take a bit of time before they look imperious. So to have took maximum points and to be finding a way to win, as we said with Southampton, you've got to give them credit. Yeah, you certainly have. It's it's never easy adapting to life in this division. We, we've seen that countless times in the last few years. I mean, Burnley, though they made it look easy last season, it wasn't probably until late September, early October when they fully clicked and went on that remarkable run that they had. They they drew a lot of their first few games. So for Leicester to have started the season with three wins from three is really good going. And I think the thing for Leicester is that you've got to recognise as well, because they are the favourites for almost everybody to win this league this season, and possibly a canter as well. You look at their first three results, and they've certainly not blown anybody away. All three of their wins have been by a one-goal margin. They had to overcome Coventry, where they were very fortuitous, I thought. If it wasn't for the individual quality of Dewsbury Hall, they would not have won that game. They look really short and bereft of ideas without his creativity. They scraped past Huddersfield last weekend but fought right to the very end against Cardiff. But by all accounts, Cardiff, from what I've heard and what I've read, they, they were quite unlucky not to get anything from that game. And that would have been a fantastic away point. And I'll be honest, I think any team that goes to the King Power and gets a point this season or three points has had a remarkable result because it's going to be a very, very hard place to go. But like you said, Enzo Maresca has gone in there, similarly to Vincent Company at Burnley and, and changed a hell of a lot in terms of style of play. And that had to be done. When I think when you've come off the back of a relegation, the mood is down. 
it needs an injection of something new, a freshness. And he's gone in there and he's done it. And I think for Leicester as well, you've got to recognise they've not done an awful lot, uh, similarly to Southampton, really, in terms of new faces. Of course, they've brought in a few, but they haven't gone out there and completely rebuilt the squad. They've managed to retain quite a few of their big names, Ndidi being one of them. I mean, it wasn't long ago when he was being linked with the, the likes of Manchester United and Chelsea for, for, for some period of time. But I agree with you on him. He does need to be dropped back into more of a number six defensive role rather than pushing up as that number eight and maybe even to a number 10. But I think when you've got three wins on the board out of three, you can't be too hard on Enzo Maresca. It's it's clearly working. The players are buying into his methods. Obviously, they've like I've said, they've had to work hard for their three victories. But if you've got that fighting mentality to go out there and fight to the very end and get those wins, it's going to be really, really key. And similar to Southampton at Plymouth on Saturday, Leicester could look back on that three points against Cardiff at the end of the season and realise just how big it, it, it may have been. So I think Maresca's clearly on to something. He's won all four games so far in League and Cup. It's a good start for him. Of course, he's blessed with a very, very talented squad. Of course he is. And he's learnt from the very best in Pep Guardiola. But you've still got to go in there and make it work, stamp your authority on the situation, get the players to buy into what you want. And I think that's a lot of things what where we were basically banging our heads against the wall last season with Burnley, weren't we? How many times were, were people shouting at me and you, they're only top because they've spent all this money. But you've got to remember, maybe they did spend a fair bit of money. They brought in some very good players. You've still got to have a manager to work it all out and, and get it to work. So I don't buy into that argument at all, that people are just going to say Leicester have got all the money. Yes, they have got very good financial clout. They've got some very good players. But you've still got to have a manager who knows what he's doing to work it, make it all work. So I think Leicester on the whole can be really pleased with the start they've had. You can't be disappointed with nine points from nine. Certainly think there's a lot more to come from them. There's no doubt about that. And so easily like Southampton, they could have been sitting here with maybe four or five points fewer because of you know a late recovery or a, a last gasp winner. So they certainly work in progress like Southampton, but when you've got nine out of nine, you can't really be too harsh. So Leicester starting as we expected them to, but certainly a sense of a hell of a lot more to come. But again, it's a sign of a good team when you're not at your best, but you find a way to win. But just on Cardiff though, Aaron Ramsey, you said it. What a goal. My word, what a goal. Fantastic strike. Ipswich Town, top of the league, George. They're the other team that have got maximum points. Uh, 100% start for Kieran McKenna's side. I thought they were very fortunate to win this match, if I'm being completely honest. I thought QPR were very unlucky. They had their chances. You cannot say that. It was quite an even game. Um, Sinclair Armstrong, who obviously I raved about last week and was very impressed with, hit both posts with a brilliant effort after some very dodgy play from Denancy in it right back. He, he took the ball, struck it from the left side of the box. As you can imagine, it curling, sort of coming across the goalkeeper, hit one post, hit the other post and somehow bounced to safety. If that goes in, different game perhaps. Equally, <laughs> Osman Kai Kai, Sitter from two yards out. I don't know how he's missed it. If he takes that shot 100 times, 98 times, it'll go in the back of the net. So QPR, very unlucky. I thought they looked a lot more solid in the 3-4-3 shape. QPR, they've sort of pushed on Kenneth Powell as a left wing back and brought Kai Kai in as a right centre-back. Morgan Fox on the left of defence, which I've always felt he's better as a centre-back. Probably suits the left centre-back role in a back three the best. Um, Steve Cook, with his experience in the middle, protects his legs a little bit, gets the best out of him. And then it allows Willock and Chair to also play more centrally in, in those sort of number 10 roles in the in the 3-4-3, three, three, 
with uh, Sinclair Armstrong stretching the pitch, creating space for the number 10s. I think it looked better. And I said last week that it was the most encouraging display I've seen from QPR under Gareth Ainsworth. And I stand by that. And I think this was an improved performance again. I think, I think again, if they've been playing a slightly less potent opposition or they took the chances... I think we're talking at QPR that could have won this game. And then if we're saying they've got six points out of nine, that would be a very good start to say how bad they were on opening day. Um, obviously, they did lose the game. I feel like I'm praising QPR more than Ipswich. But you've got, as we said, you, you've got to be clinical in this league and you've got to take your chances. And credit to Ipswich, they've come up, they've won the first three matches, all in, a, in sort of different styles, I feel like, as well. This was probably the least deserved of the three. But... You're going to have to win games where you're not at your best on the road, and that's uh, that's you know that's a positive as well. You're never going to be your best every single game, and obviously Connor Chaplin is a is a goal scorer. We know he's capable of playing at Championship level and doing well as he did for Barnsley, particularly one season. And he knows how to play that number ten role off George Hurst really well. Fired him from the inside the box through the legs of Steve Cook, and I have to say they did control the match quite well once they got in front. Albeit that that goal was quite late in the game. But once Ipswich got in front, you never really felt they were that in danger. But up until getting the lead, it was a really even contest. So I'm actually quite encouraged with QPR again, despite losing. Um, you know, I was talking to one of my friends who's a Sheffield United fan. And Ipswich, he's, he made the point that Ipswich are a little bit similar to Sheffield United when they first came up. And they were quite near the top of the table for most of the season. And then they just petered out towards the end of the season where... The first 11 was really good and good enough to be in the top six of the championship that year. But they just got hit by injuries in the squad. And I, I wonder if, I do wonder if Ipswich might be a little bit like that, where I think they could easily be sort of top six till February, March. And I know this is a very sweeping statement to say three games in. It's a gut feeling. And then maybe they'll just run out of steam with, you know, using sort of relying on 12, 13 players and maybe they haven't got the depth. But unlike Sheffield United that year, if they are in and around the playoffs, they will have the resources in January to go again to strengthen and to to bolt that squad out a little bit. So, really good start for Ipswich, an encouraging performance from QPR, and um, another example of why you've got to be clinical in the championship. Yeah, definitely, I fully agree. I'm, I'm going to start with QPR first, and I think in a bizarre, weird sort of way, that four nil thumping at Watford might have been a blessing in disguise for QPR. It might have been a real wake up call because they obviously went to Cardiff last weekend and, and got the win with a good solid away performance. And from the highlights package we've seen of the QPR Ipswich game on Saturday, I have no idea how QPR did not take a share of the spoils from that game or maybe even win it. They played some good stuff. They crafted a, a very, very good range of chances. Sinclair Armstrong, I must say, from the clips I've seen, he looks like he has a massive future ahead of him. He's got everything you want in a championship striker. He's got the pace, the physicality. He's, he's clearly got the nous of very nearly finishing the goals off. He was so unlucky with, with the effort that hit both posts. Obviously, he scored last week at Cardiff. So, Gareth Ainsworth might have unearthed something in him. And like you say, Osman Kaikai, he'll be wondering how on earth he didn't score. So, Gareth Ainsworth will probably be sat here still wondering how on earth his team didn't take anything from that game. But of course, like you've said, at this level, in this division, it is all about taking your chances when they crop up. And Ipswich, of course, did that. I think it's now 22 league games unbeaten for them. It is a remarkable run. They've not lost since the 21st of January when they lost 2-1 at Oxford, at which point their, their League One automatic promotion hopes looked to be in tatters. They, they were struggling to keep pace with, with Sheffield Wednesday and Plymouth. And then obviously they went on that remarkable run towards the end of the season. 
So they just keep finding a way to win. And you've raised a really good point about the fact that all three of their victories have been very, very different. This one at QPR on Saturday was sort of a smash and grab victory. Against Stoke last weekend in the first home game, they were absolutely dominant from start to finish and produced a clean, polished, superb performance. And at Sunderland, they, they were good, but they had to fight for it in a sense where they had to withstand some pressure late on, but were solid enough to get the win. So all three have shown different sides to, to this team. And I think, again, the thing that you've got to, you've got to praise Kieran McKenna for, obviously, it's his first time managing at this level. He's he's obviously experienced man, uh, working at Manchester United with big name managers in the past. But I think the thing that you've got to look at with this Ipswich team, which is probably the most impressive aspect of it, and of course George Hurst is technically speaking a new signing. He's rejoined a permanent deal, but was there last season. So they are still lining up with an eleven, a crop of eleven players that were at the club last season. Not a single new signing, sort of, in terms of a new face in that 11. So if you're capable of getting results at this level with a team that was playing League One football, I think it shows just how well they were doing in League One. Do I buy into the theory that Ipswich will be top two come the end of the season? Um, I, I can't buy into it. It's too early to say. I think there are going to be much, much tougher tests to come that we will we will clearly see in weeks and months that, that, that lie ahead. Could they get into the playoffs? Certainly possible. Momentum's a wonderful thing in football. And at the moment, they've got absolutely stacks of it. They have got so much going for them right now. The confidence around the whole club, around the squad, must be absolutely through the roof. So if you can keep that going, who knows where it can lead you to. So I think it's too early to jump on the bandwagon of saying they're going to get promotion, they're going to do this, that and the other. I still stand by that. I think if they achieve a top 10 finish, that would be a very, very successful campaign. I think I put them in ninth place in my 1-24s. to So... I still think a top half, top 10 will be very good going. But let's see how things go. They've had a wonderful start. Three wins out of three. They've got Leeds United at home up next. Obviously, Leeds are having a bit of a bit of difficulty at the minute. They're in that transitional phase where they've got so much in the air, as whereas Ipswich have got so much going for them in terms of consistency. Ipswich have been excellent at Portman Road uh, for the best part of about 12 months, really. So let's see how that game goes at the weekend. So there's a very good chance they could keep this winning run going. But the Championship, of course, has the uh, the prospect to spring a surprise. And let's be honest, Ipswich, as good as they are at the moment, this run's got to end at some point. It has to end at some stage. So let's see. But Kieran McKenna, three wins out of three. Really good start. But for QPR, I think you you got to feel a tad sorry for them because the performance was there. And I think if Gareth Ainsworth's side keep playing like that, and can they just take the chances, maybe a bit like Norwich, they will defy some expectations this season. It was quite a tight weekend in the Championship, George. There was only two teams that won by more than a one-goal margin. We've already yeah, spoken about one of those in Norwich City. The other one was Birmingham City. They won 2-0 at Ashton Gate, beating Bristol City. And it's been a really good start for Blues. Seven points out of a possible nine. Scored at the right times in this game, which they had the better of. They were the better side. Fans have been very excited in pre-season about Koji Moyashi. Uh, and he lashed in his first goal with a nice volley into the top corner. Djukovic rounding things off, but there was a big chance for Narky Wells just beforehand, which could have made it one all. That said, I think Birmingham, it's really great to see the good feeling that has obviously come from the stands with the takeover. It does feel like something's building a little bit on the pitch as well. The resurgence of certain players in the squad, you know, Ivan Sunic, for example, cost a lot of money for Birmingham City a few years ago, completely shipped out and unused. Now he's come back from a loan and John Eustace is going, do you know what? I'm going to make the most of you. You're going to start in the championship. You're going to be my ball winner. You're going to be my water carrier. 
and he's made a really good start back into the championship. And it feels like he's got some players, you know, Janino Bakun is another one who's impressing in sort of a more advanced role off the right-hand side where these players like Sunich, like Bakuna, they've been they've been shunned out at other clubs or, well, at Birmingham or by other managers, I should say. And Eustace is really using the squad and he's trying to galvanise them and he's trying to get the best out of the resources he's got. And the players are quite clearly buying into that. You know, they haven't been fancied by other managers, but he's getting the best out of what are clearly talented players. You know, I know Sunic has limitations technically, but he costs a lot of money and was highly rated in Croatia. Equally, Bakuna didn't get a kick really at Huddersfield, but then has been harnessed and brought back for a low fee to Birmingham and he's doing really well. That's just good man management in my eyes. And there's no reason for me with performances like this and defensively a lot more solid why Birmingham can't have a really good season this year because it does feel like the momentum off the pitch, which has been long overdue, is starting to flood into the performances now as well. They've got a really highly rated manager that we really like and it feels like Birmingham, this is a, this is a time to really be excited for their supporters. It certainly is. I was thinking quite a bit about Birmingham actually uh, prior to recording this, and just thinking of the the transformation in in mood around that football club, it's quite unbelievable, really. And the feel good factor from the boardroom is filtering onto the pitch, it's filtering into the stands, and it feels like there's a togetherness where everybody connected with that club is pulling in the same boat for the same goal, and that is just to not necessarily go for promotion or anything like that. It's just to have a happy feeling around the club again after so many years of misery and frustrations with owners that just didn't care. They, they've now got something to, to to look forward to on a Saturday afternoon. That's the bottom line. These Birmingham fans have got something to look forward to. And you can already sense they've got a team that they can relate with, that they're genuinely proud of. And there's smiles on faces. That's no doubt about it. And I will say something in terms of the game itself on Saturday. Mayoshi, I said when Birmingham found him that I'd got a feeling that he was going to be a really big fan's favourite and sort of a potential gem. This kid looks good. He looks really, really good. To be, well, I say kid, he's 26, but you know what I mean? He, he looks a really talented player, does Mayoshi. And I think Birmingham are going to get a lot of fun from him. But Jukovic, the golden oldie, he's stepping up again, two and two in the league for him. And I always say, I've always said, should I say, in the last few weeks, Birmingham, they need another striker before the window shuts. They desperately need another number nine. But you know damn well, Jukovic will always pop up now and again with an important goal. And that goal effectively sealed the win once and for all at Ashton Gate on Saturday. He scored the winner against Leeds the week before with that last gas penalty. So I think Birmingham have got a hell of a lot going for them now. They've got a manager, obviously, bleeds Birmingham City Football Club. The fans like him. The players clearly like him. We thought he did a really good job last season in testing circumstances. And they just seem to be on a real upward trajectory. And like I say, that feel-good factor from the takeover is just making its way through the entire club, through everybody connected with that club. And I think the big thing for Birmingham in terms of on the pitch at the start of this season, seven points from nine from their first three. They've won in the League Cup. They've kept three successive clean sheets in League and Cup. They've got a hell of a lot going for them at the minute. And I think when you've got momentum like that and such a feel-good factor, they're one of those teams that you don't really want to play at the minute when so much is going right for them. And you look at their remaining fixtures prior to the international break, they've got three successive home games in League and Cup. They've got Plymouth at home this weekend, then they've got a League Cup clash with Cardiff at home, and then Millwall at home. That, that's an opportunity potentially to get another three three wins. 
Obviously, the Cup's not quite as important as the league, but you still want to progress in that competition. So if Birmingham can make it to the first international break still unbeaten, obviously three games, a lot can happen. You never know. They might lose all three. Who knows? But I just think there's a, a lot going for that club at the minute. Like you said, Eustace, he's resurrected Sunjic from nowhere. Him and Bielik in the middle has just been the perfect partnership. Keshi Anderson brought in, not the most glamorous signing, but an effective one. You know, obviously, I had a trial period after leaving Blackpool. Obviously, they've brought in Ethan Laird, who's had a really good start at right back. There's so much that Birmingham have got right this summer, and it's just fallen into place so perfectly. And obviously, the Tom Brady elements just raised expectation and excitement even further. So, really, really pleased with Birmingham. I think Birmingham are one of those clubs where, for any football fan, unless you're an Aston Villa fan, perhaps, you look at it and you think, I'm really, really pleased for them. And it feels like Birmingham City fans are finally finally got their club back. Very well said, George. Sheffield Wednesday nil, Preston North End won. Um, Preston off to a great start again this season. Another team with seven out of nine under Ryan Lowe. Defensively rock solid and it was a game probably quite low margin, not a great deal of quality and a a set piece wins the game. It's a lovely ball in from Kian Best, the young wing back that we spoke about last week. Um, Still learning on the job, only 17, three starts in a row in the championship for him. Lovely delivery into the box. Just Great desire, great um, header from Liam Lindsay to head it into the bottom corner. And they were quite comfortable from there in. They restricted Wednesday to very few chances. Freddie Woodman didn't have loads to do. And whilst the Owls are rock bottom and they only tried to lose all three games, goals have been an issue. It just hasn't clicked under Cisco. Preston, good value for the win. Still expecting them to get stronger as well with work in the transfer market at left wing back and up front. But in the meantime, they're getting goals. They're rock solid at the back. And if they can just get a bit of depth and a bit more quality up front, a bit more firepower, you know, maybe Preston could do a little bit better than, than I predicted pre-season. Yeah, it's certainly possible. And I, I thought Preston would be okay this season. I didn't tip them to, to sort of set the world alight, but I never thought they'd be in any sort of danger. And I'm already pretty confident that will be the case, albeit only three games in. So... I think Ryan Lowe can be really pleased with how things have gone so far. Seven points out of nine. It's a really healthy return. They've had a couple of away games in there. They obviously play the Sunderland side who got in the playoffs last season. They beat them at Deepdale last weekend. They'll be a little bit disappointed in the fact that they lost to Salford in the in the League Cup, but obviously that's not the main focus of Preston. You know, I don't mean any disrespect, but Preston were never going to win the Carabao Cup this season. Probably no championship club will. So I think seven points from nine is a really, really solid start. Back-to-back wins. Uh, a first clean sheet of the season as well. That's something else for them to build on. And like you said, they are only going to get stronger with a few signings. You'd have thought before the bell, they do need another striker. There's no doubt about that. The left wing back situation, they do need to do something there. Even though Kean Best has looked really, really good. He, he, he's came, he's come into the team and he's certainly not shirked the challenge. He's looked really positive, really strong and sort of savouring the moment, really. Obviously, Alvaro Fernandez last season was exceptional. Now back at Manchester United, remains to be seen if he'll leave on loan again before they before the window's out. You never know, a window might open up for Preston to bring him back, perhaps. But overall, I think Ryan Lowe can be really, really satisfied. Seven points from nine. You know, not the not the easiest crop of fixtures, but not the hardest. But still, you, the Championship, two away games in there, it's not easy. So I think Ryan Lowe can be really, really pleased. They're in the sixth spot after the first three game weeks. It's it's not really, you know, for Preston, you can't really ask for much more. No, really good result for them. Sunderland, they got off the mark as well, George. They beat Rotherham United 2-1. 
comeback victory at the Stadium of Light. A Dolphin on the score sheet again for Rotherham, but star man, the goal scorer, Joe Bellingham. Familiar name. Two instinctive finishers, a header from close range after a good knockdown and then a, a lovely finish inside the box from a sweeping move. It's big investment from Sunderland, this. £3 million from Birmingham. He'd only played 640 championship minutes before this season. So, as I say, not a, a small outlay to bring him to the club. We know Sunderland are good talent ID spotters. We know they like to invest in young talent and they doubled down on that approach this summer with their transfer activity. But I don't think it should go on the radar. This was a big big signing. You know, not a lot of teams will spend £3 million. Certainly not a, teams, a lot of teams that aren't called Leeds United, Leicester or Southampton. So for Sunderland to put that money where their mouth was, put him in the team, put him in the starting lineup as well, straight in, having only played, as I say, what, the equivalent of seven championship matches for 90 minutes. It's It was a big investment and he's already started to repay, like, repay some of that, like his brother, goal-scoring midfielder, playing in that number 10 role. And, you know, it's a big burden to be, especially with Sunderland not having a striker. I mean, it's a big goal-scoring burden that he's shouldering playing in one of those advanced midfield roles at the moment. And for such a young lad, he's, he's done taking that responsibility really well. He looks like he wants to be the main man for Sunderland and two really good finishers at the weekend to get them over the line against Rotherham. It's certainly what he needed, isn't it? When you've spent a fair amount of money on a young player, they're, they're always bound to feel that little bit of pressure. And obviously a lot of people were talking, weren't they, about that? that good opportunity he spurned on the opening day against Ipswich. But it wasn't the easiest chance. It was a difficult one to control. So to have got off the mark, though he's a midfielder, not necessarily you know, a player that's going to be expected to score a lot of goals, I think it was really big for him, the fact that he's scored a couple of goals and then contributed to a come-from-behind win to get Sunderland's first win of the season. And let's be honest... We all know who his brother is, and when that is the case, there's going to be a lot of you know, there's going to be a lot of attention on you. And he's he's probably rather disappointed that his his big brother went and scored a couple of goals for Real Madrid later in the day. He got a brace as well. as well, so it was a good day for the Bellingham family. Both of them getting a couple of goals, but I think Job will be really really pleased with the start he's had. He, he's he's looked good in the games that we've seen. He, he's looked really really good in possession. He looks a really bright, vibrant player with a with a point to prove. And I think for Tony Mowbray. He'll be relieved, obviously, that his team have got that first win. They bowed out of the cup to Crew Alexander as well, which was a real disappointment. So I think for him, it's really important they've got that first one on the board sooner rather than later, just ease some of the pressure on his shoulders. But I do think they are going to need to find now a bit of momentum. I think Sunderland, after what they did last season, there is going to be an expectancy. Tony Mowbray is going to be under a little bit of pressure. I've actually read today, actually, as we record this Sunday evening, that there's still suggestions that the board could pull the trigger sooner rather than later. I think it'd be harsh. I think, considering what he did last season with an injury-ravaged squad, bereft of its star striker for much of the season as well, I think it certainly deserves the opportunity to have a, another full season, to be fair. I think he's certainly the right man to take them forward. I spoke last week about what he can do with young talent and maybe Joe Bellingham's couple of goals are a sign of what he can do with him. And obviously, there's other youngsters that have come through the door this summer. So, a good win for them. Rotherham, obviously, it's that away day haunt yet again, isn't it? It's back-to-back defeats on the road, one point from their first three games. They desperately need more, more additions before the bell. There's no doubt about that. But already, there is that feeling that they are going to be very, very reliant on that home form. They let a two-goal lead slip against Blackburn last week, of course, a game you were at. So, it does feel like then their form at the New York is going to be key to their hopes of survival. Still early days. 
But I think there is size in patterns of play that Rotherham are clicking to the way that Matt Taylor wants them to play. He just needs extra bodies. He's admitted they need that. More firepower at the top they end. need more firepower. They need a little bit more depth. They've obviously not really replaced Og Benny, who was such an important figure for them last season. So I think time will tell for Rotherham. Obviously, like I said, they're on about 10 days or less or so, give or take in the window, depending on when you're listening to this. So if they can get that sorted, get some firepower in, that's the most important aspect. Maybe a flair player or two. Then we'll see what happens. But again, it's that away form that could be troublesome for Rotherham. But for Sunderland, off the mark. And for Joe Bellingham, maybe a case of the very beginning for him. Quite a bonkers game at Ewood Park, George. Hull City running out 2-1 winners against Blackburn in the end. But that really doesn't tell the story. Very early red card for Harry Pickering, his career first. Absolutely no complaints about that. It's a definite red card. He completely just misjudges the fight of the ball. Tries to very, very clumsy, but can't yeah. complain. Definite red card. But despite that, and despite Hull having over 70% possession, Blackman's got themselves ahead. Really good finish from substitute Sam Gallagher firing into the far corner. Good approach play again from Niall Ennis, who obviously set up the equalising goal for Sam Smodics last week. And he was in the thick of it again. Aaron Connolly equalises. Really good finish. Ball over the top from Seri. I think Blackman will be a little bit disappointed with the defending. He sort of runs off the back of Niall Ennis, who doesn't give Joe Rankin-Costello a shout, and therefore he comes from behind him, a bit blindsided. Good finish on the volley, really good finish, it should be said, and it was a lovely ball from Seri over the top. But then, you think Blackburn, are you going to sit in for a point? Nope, still going for it. Niall Ennis hits the post, header cleared off the line, and then moments later, Connolly goes and seals the win. Big ball over the top, and... It was a bit weird, the defending from Blackburn. I thought the the, the line was very high. Hayden Carter's quite quick, and he looked miles behind Connolly, who scampered away. Really calm finish. Ainsley Capers caught in no man's land a little bit, although I think Pears did have quite a good game, pulled off a really good save in the first half particularly. But his positioning, I think he was a bit caught by the high line. They just weren't set. They weren't prepared for the ball over the top. I, th- I think if you're Blackburn, having done so well to get yourself in front with 10 men, You'd be quite disappointed with how soft the goals are that you've conceded. You know, two balls over the top and in behind, really, particularly the first one. Um, so it did feel a little bit harsh on Blackburn to say the, the effort they put in with 10 men, the chances they had. Again, this is nothing new to Blackburn. They still haven't signed that that prolific striker that Yondal Thomason is craving. And they did have chances, as I say, in the game where they could have got themselves back in front, even at one all. Hull were clinical. Connolly. Seems to play well for Hull. Hasn't particularly done it anywhere else in the Championship and injuries have been an issue for him as well. If he can stay fit, I think there's a confidence within Hull camp that you know he can score 15, 20 goals at Championship level. Can he stay fit? Can he stay consistent? That is the big challenge. He took both of his goals really well, it has to be said, at Ewood Park. Bit of a bonkers game, George. Yeah, definitely. I mean, starting with Aaron Connolly, I think you, you've summed it up well for him. The, there is a belief around Hull City that he can deliver the goods for them. And we've seen in the past with various players down the years that, and managers as well, there are just some players that fit some clubs and it, they work hand in hand. So let's see if Aaron Connolly can do that. He's got three in his last two games, scored against Sheffield Wednesday uh, last weekend. Uh, and like you say, got a couple at Ewood Park at the weekend. And Blackburn, like you said, to their credit, they did really, really well to to sort of cling on with 10 men and then get themselves in front through that Sam Gallagher goal. And then obviously, perhaps just a couple of lapses of concentration, really, which is understandable when you've played with 10 men for so long. 
So Aaron Connolly for the second goal. I mean, Ainsley Pears, I really do not know what he was doing with his positioning for that goal. It was, as soon as I watched it, I just, you know, when you watch TV, you see football, regardless of the team and a goalkeeper does thing, you just, you look at it and you just go, what the hell is he doing? Why he just, why he'd come over one, you know, so far to one side of his goal and left the other one, which Connolly slotted the ball into so wide open. Who knows? We're not goalkeepers. We can't be too harsh. So big win for Hull. Back-to-back wins as well. Six points in their first three games. It's a it's a pretty good start, to be fair. They've had a couple of away games in there. Obviously lost at Norwich on the opening day, but then beat Sheffield Wednesday and now beaten Blackburn. So I think Liam Rossini will be really pleased with that. They obviously brought in Scott Twine in the build-up to this game good at the time. weekend. A very, very good signing. I looked at that and thought, no disrespect to Hull, but I'm amazed that more sort of how can I put this? The championship teams that are expected to challenge for the playoffs in the top two this season, I'm surprised more weren't all over more him. fancied championship. Yeah, I think that was probably the word. And Scott Twine, obviously, he missed so much of last season through injury, which was very unlucky because he arrived at Burnley with such a good reputation after that stunning 21-22 season at MK Dons where he was, he was the best player in League One without any shadow of a doubt. He was absolutely unbelievable that year. He was unplayable. So if Hull can get him going and keep him fit, they've got one hell of a sign. And there's, there's been talk today that they're getting Philogene as well from Aston Villa. Um, another quite impressive sign, apparently going to be a permanent addition. So Liam Rossini seems to be now getting a very good sort of clientele of player through the door. They seem to be getting some really attractive, good championship players. So Hull City, with the basis that they've got, they will have aspirations of kicking on this season. I still have reservations about them competing for the top six. Time will, of course, tell. They've got Bristol City up next, who have not had the best of starts. That's on Friday night at home. They'll be looking for three points out of that one. So if they can win that game, who who knows where they could go? So uh, a good start for Hull. Blackburn, obviously, been a little bit indifferent, hasn't it? Obviously beat West Brom on the opening day, then came up from two down against Rotherham against 10 men. Then obviously let a lead, a lead slip so late on against Hull with 10 men themselves. So it's been a bit indifferent for Yondal Thomason, but I think he will have seen flashes he's pleased with and instances that he's probably not best pleased with. But overall, I think four points, when you take into account the fact that they played a majority of one game with 10 men, had to come back from 2-0 down in another, I don't think four points from nine is the worst possible start. But of course, with Blackburn, it's that same old story. They need that striker. They need that that front man who's going to bang the goals and get them 20 a season. Clock's ticking in the window. Let's see what they can do. But I don't think there's any sort of reason to be massively worried by Rovers. Certainly not the start they would have dreamt of, but it's not disastrous by any stretch. No. And then finally, to round us off, Stoke City won Watford nil. Vidigal, once again, the match winner for Stoke in a, in a much better display compared to the defeat at Ipswich. A little bit laboured in the first half. I think the the gauntlet was laid down by Alex Neal at half-time to go and take the game by the scruff of the neck and they, they did that, they were far stronger in the second half Mark Travers made a huge save to deny Aspria at 1-0 Alex Neal said post-match he thinks he could be worth 12 points to Stoke City um, Wesley at the top end of the pitch proving a good foil for Vidigal, switched to a 3-5-2 system for Stoke, which got uh, Luke McNally in at right centre-back who played very well, uh, Mike Mitch Rose in the middle and then um, uh, ben Wilmot at left centre-back. It gives, gives a good balance. Made a few changes in midfield. You know, Ben Pearson was left out and put on the bench. Nathan, um, Jordan Thompson came in. Good performance in midfield. And Wesley and Vidigal leading the line. Big man, little man. 
could be a, a good system for Stoke moving forward, a bit more solidity perhaps. And I thought they took the game to Stoke second half. Basically had two match winners, one at either end of the pitch, and, and that's what Watford, particularly at the top end, Watford are missing a striker, aren't they, at the minute? Um, and Stoke probably got a little bit more firepower than that saw them through in this game. They are, and I think it's I think it's a statement we could make for quite a few championship clubs at the moment, isn't it? That they are missing a striker that they can rely on. And like I've said, I think that will come in time with the form of Premier League squads finalising their their twenty five man squads and working out who's going to be available for loans in the next week or so. So Watford, I'm sure, will get that that elusive number nine through the door and maybe one or two others. For Stoke, though, I think they could be they can be quite satisfied with the start that they've had. They were off the pace at Ipswich, there's no doubt about that. But they've won three out of four in, in League and Cup. They've won all three of their home games. And I think that's a really big thing for Stoke because their home form last year was so, so poor. They didn't manage back-to-back home wins at any juncture in, at all last season. They've already won two in, two out of two in the league. They beat West Brom as well in the Cup. It's three out of three in all comps. Vidigal looks a very, very good signing. They, this guy looks like he could be the real deal. So Stoke have unearthed a, unearthed a gem in him out of nowhere. And I always say every season there's one or two uh, complete unknown quantities that come from nowhere. And Andre Vidigal looks as though he could be that man this season. He's got off to an exceptional start. And I think for, for Alex Neal, after the way last season went, where Stoke were, they were a little bit static, weren't they? They didn't really have that flair and that creativity, that go-to man that could conjure something up in the blink of an eye. In Vidigal, however... It looks as though they might have found him. And it, of course, it's very early days and he, he's still adjusting to life. But the stats don't lie. He's got four goals in his first four games in League and Cup. He's scored in each of his three home games in a Stoke shirt so far. And I don't think you could have asked for more from him. When he's new to the country, he's new to obviously all of his teammates, the division, everything else. And he's got off to a good start. So I think Stoke can be pleased with him. I think they can be pleased with the start they've made to the season. Six points for a possible nine. It's a good start. But I think the most pleasing aspect for, for Alex O'Neill will be the fact that his team have gone out there and won both of their home league games so far. They were so bad at home last season. It was a real big stickler for them. But this year, it looks as like they might be correcting that. Still think they might need one or two more bodies in what's been a very busy summer already. But certainly to me, Positives outweigh the negatives. Like I say, three wins out of four in League and Cup, beaten by an Ipswich side who obviously just got so much momentum behind them at the moment. It's been a good start for Stoke and I think they can be satisfied with what they've got. And like I say, Vidigal, he looks like he could be a real top player this season. Three draws in the Championship this uh, this weekend, George. Leeds United won, West Brom won was the Friday night game. I felt Leeds were quite good value for a point. I wasn't that impressed with West Brom in truth. Luke Aileen levelled after a Brandon Thomas Asante deflected opener for West Brom. I thought West Brom looked a bit ropey, particularly trying to play out from the back. Malumbi and um, Yacosta didn't have their best game. I thought Leeds pressed very well with Archie Gray in midfield, with Ampadu, with uh, Jamie Shackleton, I thought, who came into the side, did really well, sort of in a right-wing role. The bigger talking points about Leeds at the moment are obviously the uh, the mutiny that's going on inside Ellen Road with Willy Nonto and uh, Sinistero, whether they'll be allowed to leave. If I was them, I think I would take the money now for Nonto. I know they wanted to sell him, but I think the fans at Ellen Road made their feelings quite clear that if you're not with us, you're against us. Um, to quote Anakin Skywalker, uh, Revenge of the Sith, if anyone's interested. Um, so if they're not, the fans have just, are just not going to take them back, I don't think. So they'd be better cutting their losses, taking the money, making sure they get the right deal for the club, reinvesting that and giving Daniel Farker the time 
to get that the right players in to bolster their squad. Um, but I thought they were decent value. They're not going to look great, I don't think, until the window shut. They know what they've got to work with and they can bring players in as reinforcements. But I thought they deserved a point against West Brom at the very least. Yeah, they did. I've, I've got to be honest, I watched that game and, well, we both said, didn't we? We spoke to each other after the full-time whistle and we said basically what a, what a dull game that was. It wasn't very good, let's be honest. The quality wasn't great. I thought from a West Brom point of view, and it's quite surprising I'm saying this because I do quite like him and I do rate him quite quite well. I just thought Cedric Kipre was a disaster waiting to happen on Friday night. Every Not time he got the ball, start of the season, given the the role he played in Blackburn's goal, on no, the day certainly well. on the ball in the first half, Leeds had clearly targeted him. He was just a disaster waiting to happen. So Carlos Corberan may have to rethink that tactic with him. But I think overall, I think a draw is probably probably a fair outcome in a game that was was very restrictive of quality at both in both boxes so probably a, a draw a fair result but certainly not one of the uh, not one of the best friday night games i've seen in recent years in this league middlesbrough yet to get their first win they drew one all with huddersfield as well fell behind again missing big chances it was an own goal from dale fry just not defending their box aggressively enough and i think that summed up middlesbrough not good enough in both 18 yard boxes but again, they created chances and they probably should have won the game. Really great goal from Hayden Hackney, who's looking like he's not going to be a one-season wonder and will kick on again this year, which is exciting. But big chances missed. Silveru missed a guilt-edge chance against Coventry. He was again guilty of spurning wide from close range. New sign, Latty Leif, signed this week. Threw one on goal, threw one on one on goal, couldn't sort his feet out. I just feel like Middlesbrough, I don't think they're playing horrendously, but they're just letting themselves down in both boxes. And it feels like this team's going to need a bit of time to to, to gel and go again. Of course, they've sold Tuber Akpom now, which we said we thought they should do on last week's podcast, or certainly I did. And interesting to see Carrick said they might not go for a like-for-like replacement. They clearly need more goals and more firepower in the team. How they do that will be interesting. But I think Middlesbrough could be one that, are a bit of a slow starter for a little bit. And when we get to sort of October, November, when the new signings are bedded in, when they've hopefully started being more aggressive in both 18-yard boxes, they'll start to get better uh, and improve and, and climb up the table. And then Swansea won, Coventry won, two good finishes. First, Matt Gordon with a really clean strike into the far corner and a, head, a clever header from Jerry Yates, his second at home for the Swans. feels like both teams are still sort of feeling out their new identities after... Big exits, both in the dugout or in the changing rooms with Harmer and Gokarez and Russell Martin all leaving. Both teams sort of starting new eras and, and trying to find their best form and personnel and starting 11s. And that rounds off this week's episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. Please make sure you are subscribed to this feed, wherever you get your podcast from, and you'll get the latest episode from us every single week. Make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. And a huge thank you once again to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for their support this season. Make sure you go and check them out. Thank you for listening once again. We'll catch you next week for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.